Well, several weeks ago, if you were here, or if you're not, you're here the first time, uh, welcome uh, into our series in Luke. Uh, I began a consecutive expository series subtitled, Seeing Jesus Together in the Gospel of Luke. And we've looked at, so far, the preface in verses 1 through 4, and the visitor that came to Zechariah in the temple last week in verses 5 through 25. The angel's visit to Zechariah. But he wasn't through, as we're going to see. Now, by the way, if you notice, that's our series slide. The next slide is today's message title, The Annunciation. Now, perhaps you're wondering, well, Joe, wait a minute. It's, it's, you know, it's the springtime. Advent and Christmas, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to have Christmas in July? Ah, of course not. We wouldn't do that. We're going to have Christmas in May. And possibly a little bit of June. You see, we go, that's why it's called a consecutive expository preaching, where we go not skipping away and around and jumping over things. We go line by line through the Holy Scriptures, revealing this marvelous, glorious book of the Gospel of Luke that shows us Jesus so well. Now, Luke wanted his telling of this story to emphasize the link between John the forerunner, whom we saw last week, that's foretold and is going to come into this world and do God's purpose and will. But not only Luke wanted us to know about John the forerunner, he wanted us to know about Jesus, the Messiah. And that's why the angel Gabriel's not through today. He had a job to do with Zechariah. But now he's got his eyes set on a young lady. You see, in the Gospel of Luke... He tells us not one, but two stories of parallel miraculous births, different in nature. Zechariah and Elizabeth were way, way too old to have children. It would absolutely, again, though, was an impossibility at that point in their advanced, advanced years. And yet, God promised through the, through the angel Gabriel that they would have a child, a very special child that would be the forerunner of the Messiah. In this case, his communication goes to a young girl, differing in nature, but supernatural in both. Let's look at, listen to our scripture reading as it comes to us from Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 
uh, 38, 26 through 38. And once again, as always, I remind you, this is not the word of men and women. This is the word of the living God. And it will always stand. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's ask God's blessing upon the reading and hearing of his word. Well, Father, once again we ask that the Holy Spirit will be sent today into our minds and hearts that we might comprehend and understand and appreciate this amazing gift that you gave to Mary and to all who believe. Oh, Father, again, show us Jesus. We would see him and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, the work of Gabriel was not complete. Gabriel had done task one, but task two now was before him in the text that we just read. After delivering his message to the old man Zechariah, and he was then sent by God to this obscure backwater village called Nazareth. Later on, you would hear in the Gospels that certain people, their view of Nazareth 
was, shall we say, not too uh, high. Uh, matter of fact, it was considered to be just an absolute terrible place to be. You had nothing but this filthy Gentile garrison there around the Sea of Galilee, polluting everything. It was a redneck Riviera of its day. But, nonetheless, God had his eye on someone. And it was Gabriel's job to carry it to her. He is bringing important news to this young girl by the name of Miriam. Did you know that? A.K.A. Mary. But Miriam would have been the true name. It's like my name was Joe, but Joseph is my true name. So Miriam, but we know her as Mary. She was a very young woman, perhaps in her mid-teens, 14, 15, could even have been slightly, or a little more. And she was engaged to be married to a man, Joseph. And engagement back then had a lot more grip on it than some engagements today. It was essentially only something pretty egregious could break that marriage. And Luke goes on out of his way to tell us something about this young girl, Mary. He twice in a couple of sentences tells us that she is a virgin. Not once, but twice for emphasis. And this reality, a girl that is a virgin that is going to receive this gift from God and for the world, that has absolutely colossal implications. And we're going to look at some of those a little later on in specific and get you to see of what an incredible event this was. Now, here's today's outline for the Annunciation. It goes like this. The address, the answer, and the acceptance. The address that's going to be made to Mary, her answer, or excuse me, the answer and her acceptance. The answer that the angel gives her, how this is going to come about, and then finally her acceptance of God's will. So, looking at verses 28 through 33, we've already read the whole section. I'm just going to be pulling threads now that we've got the whole part in view. You may be wondering, first of all, what is the Annunciation? You've heard that all your life, most of you. If you've grown up in a Christian home or a Christian church or you've been around in the Deep South, you know, you've heard that name, Annunciation. And it simply means, of course, in Latin, the announcement. It's an announcement, though, specifically of the incarnation of Jesus 
by the angel Gabriel to Mary. That's not Gabriel that brought about the incarnation. God does. But he was the instrument. He was the one that came and announced to her that the God's son would come. The incarnate son of God would be coming. And Mary would conceive of him as a virgin. And Gabriel was coming to this poor little girl. There are songs, there are paintings uh, about the Annunciation. You probably, whether you know that or not, um, here's a, a, a painting that I happen to like this one a little bit better. This is a, a Pichon, um, uh, Botticelli's uh, piece is all wrong. It's got the angel bowing down to Mary. <laughs> this, this shows the Holy Spirit in the, in the draft there at the top, you can see. So at least a little bit more. Of course, it's still Victorian, but you've seen there, there, there are literally hundreds of attempts to paint the Annunciation with Gabriel and Mary. There were also songs. The angel Gabriel from heaven came. Da, 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 da. You, you know it. So there are, there are songs about the Annunciation. So this is a big deal, historically, spiritually, of course. As Gabriel approached Mary, he addressed her with those famous words. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, some other traditions use the reference of full of grace with regard to Mary. But that's not what the text says. The text literally is Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You see, Mary found the address, though, you would think, well, that's good news, right? Yes. But for some reason, she was troubled by that. I mean, just think again. You get a visit from an angel, these awesome creatures that are not just a little bit scary, they are, they are incredibly make you nervous. And even though he, she was told, you're found favor with God. She is troubled. And she doesn't know what to make of this. Now, why is that? Well, well think about Mary's status. Who she was. How young she was. She might have been a 14, 15 year old girl in a nowhere place, in a nowhere town with no significance. She wasn't even, had no rights. She's probably wondering, uh, Mr. Mr. Angel, sir, you got the wrong girl. I'm just married. 
she, she thinks, wait, he's got the wrong address. They messed up at the post office. And so she's thinking, you can't be talking about me. I'm a nobody from nowhere. And then come those additional famous words, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Isn't that the longing of every sinful heart? Anybody that has a, a glimmer of how sinful they are. The quest of life should be how do you find favor with God? That's what Martin Luther struggled with. How do I find favor with God? Of course, he thought until he understood the gospel, he thought there was no way. And it only made him more angry. But she is told that she has found favor with God. Now, as I said, alluded earlier, the phrase full of grace is a poor translation. It does not mean Mary possesses grace that somehow she can bestow on others. That's nonsense. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. It, that word of you have found favor with God is what we call a divine passive. A divine passive. Indirectly giving God the credit for the grace that Mary was given by God. Mary was graced by God. She didn't, wasn't given something to give grace to others. Now Gabriel had more good news though. He wasn't through. He says, you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Yeshua. That's his name. Yeshua. Hebrew. We would come to know him as Jesus. But that would have been his Hebrew name. And then Luke provides us with this kingdom perspective. He said, you don't have any idea how big a deal this guy is and what he's going to do. But I'm telling you, I'm sharing it with you so you'll be encouraged and not afraid. Listen again to verses 32 and 33 of our text. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Are you a little bit rattled right now with all that's going on in the world and your life? Yeah, we probably are. We're honest at times. What in the world is happening? Where, where's, the, where's the kingdom of God growing? Where's the kingdom of God winning? Seems to be very few places that it can be found. 
the angel assures Mary, <laughs> there will be no end. I've already seen the end of the books. The last one, Jesus wins. Believe me, he wins. Satan is a claim jumper and a usurper. This world one day will become the kingdom's of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's what Gabriel is telling Mary. You see, Gabriel ties the coming of, Jesus, of the Jesus child to an old promise made to David and his royal line. And Jesus' kingdom will never, never, never come to an end. No matter how dark, no matter how how sad it may seem in a moment, the light will overcome the darkness. Now, that was the address of Gabriel to Mary. Now, let's think for a moment about the answer, and that's in verses 34 through 37. Now, no doubt, as I said, all this good news was great, and I'm sure Mary was thinking, yeah, that's, that, that's really cool. That's, that's great, Lord. But Mary wasn't that bad with math. I am. But she wasn't. She knew how to add pretty well. She knew how to count. And because she knew how to add, add she knew certain things weren't adding up right now. Despite all this good news that had been brought to her by the angel. How could she conceive and bear a son if she never had been with a man? Intimate with a man. How in the world was that going to happen? She understood the birds and the bees. It takes two to tango. Mary knew enough about the reproductive process to know that this is flat out impossible, humanly speaking. So she asked in verse 34, this is what she asked. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How will this be? She said, I know how this works. Haven't experienced it, but, you know, my parents, don't, they're not liars. And, you know, I, I've seen lots of things through the years. How can this be? Remember, after all, she's a virgin. It's a reasonable question, don't you think? Luke is doing something right here. He's once again paralleling with that other story that we looked at last week. Luke is drawing a clear contrast between Zechariah's doubt and Mary's faith. Huge difference between
between the two. You say, well, they seem kind of similar to me. To me. I mean, they both are saying, uh, what's I don't get it. Let's go into it a little bit more. You see, unlike Zechariah, Mary doesn't question whether or not God is to be believed. Did you hear that? She doesn't question whether or not she should believe God's word. Zechariah did. But she's simply asking, how, sir? If you say so, I believe it. But I, I know how this works. I can't put two and two together here. It won't fit. Help me. You see, she simply asked how this is going to happen. Now, Gabriel was prepared. He wasn't caught off guard at all because he had an answer already ready. The conception of Jesus would be a supernatural act of God. That's how it's going to happen, Mary. It's impossible, you're right, with folks like you. But God is not one of you. He has all the power in the world. And so, Gabriel says to her, it's supernatural, dear. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural act of God. And normal human agency that does this kind of thing brings babies into the world that will have no part here. There won't be a trace of that in what God is going to do through you. He won't be involved. The he said, but something else will be. The powerful presence of God would bring it about. Literally, that word there is overshadowed. The Holy Spirit of God, he said, will overshadow you. And you know what? That should bring you to illusion going way, way back in the Old Testament, back to the very beginning of the creation of the world. What was the Holy Spirit doing? The Greek text, the Old Testament Greek text, spoke of hovering over the waters. This is creation language from the beginning. And that same mighty Spirit of God is going to bring about this new creation. The one and only ever God-man. You see, then for his stroke of grace, Gabriel reports a miracle of that barren woman, Elizabeth, that's now six months in 
to her impossible conceiving of John. And then the angel says, remember Mary, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. We're not talking about the usual suspects. Now, the significance of the virginal conception, that's the more precise way to, to say it theologically, the significance of the virginal conception of Jesus is a profound doctrine of the Christian faith. And without it, there is no Christian faith. You know, when we say the Apostles' Creed and we go down the line, and you say, well, what difference does it make whether we've got this tagline in there about and was born of the Virgin Mary? Why why don't we just leave that out? you You want to leave out your whole hope of salvation? That's, that's what you've done if you remove this article. You see, what the Holy Spirit did in the womb of the Virgin Mary, it demonstrates Christ's complete identification with us. He had, he who was God had to become one of us in order to take our sin and justify us. He had to be like us. He had to identify. It demonstrates Christ's complete identification with us, being one of us Forever. Do you realize that? It's not just while he was here. Resurrected, yes. Glorified, yes, he is in heaven. But he is still one of us. Human. Fully God. Fully man. Forever. See, it demonstrates his complete identification with us and his uniqueness as the Son of God. There will not ever be another. He is the one and only. I want you to listen to this rather lengthy quote by Philip Ryken, PCA pastor, uh, the famous 10th Street Presbyterian Church. But this, is, this shows you just some of the implications of what the virgin birth really entails and means. Riken says, The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is one of the essential facts and great mysteries of the Christian religion. If we deny this, we deny the faith. Categorically. According to Luke, Mary had a child before she had intercourse. Do you believe this or not? He says. Even worse, 
We deny the deity of Jesus Christ because it is his conception by the Holy Spirit that makes him the Holy Son of God. You're essentially on the borders of blasphemy if you don't believe and accept this. Jesus had to be born of a woman to be a man. But if he had been the physical offspring of Joseph, then he would have been nothing more than a man. His virgin birth, his divine conception by the Spirit, these things were necessary for the incarnation. Only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that preserves the, both humanity and deity. His, his birth from a woman points to his humanity. One person, two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And because... He was conceived by a unique creative act of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of Adam. Without that, if there's no virgin birth, we have no way to get away from our sins that we are already embroiled in with the first Adam. Jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of Adam. Fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. People all around the world have been trying to do it for a millennial. Fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. He had to come from somewhere outside. By way of divine initiative and intervention, therefore God sent Jesus into the world as the perfect Son of God, born without sin. Hallelujah! That's the greatest news that we could ever hope for. The guilt is taken away. The sin is dealt with by the God-man. Now, one last verse in verse 38. We see finally the acceptance. Mary's response to God's plan for her remains one of the most beautiful statements ever expressed in all written literature. Verse 38, behold, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. By the way, the word she really uses there, the servant of the Lord, is a little, a little nicer. It's the same word that Paul used, a bondservant. I am a slave to you, my God, for anything you want me to do. I belong. Hook line and sinker to you. Do as you wish. I want you to listen to this quote, one other quote by Ralph Davis, one of my professors in seminary. Louise had him for classes at Bellhaven. 
and uh, and I had him uh, for cl classes at, at seminary. Um, when he when he came over to RTS, <laughs> David says, "Finally, we see that that Mary provides us with a model response." She calls herself the slave girl of the Lord and says, let it happen to me as you have said. We're often too familiar with these Advent texts and familiarity may tend to deaden appreciation. But Mary had to count the cost. Listen, she had to be aware of the cost, he says. In one sense, was this privilege or was this punishment for her? She may not have known or been sure either way. How would it be seen by others? How would it seem to her? Was this a good thing or was this a hard thing? Was this a great joy or was this a real burden? She was jeopardizing for all she knew, all her security with Joseph what would he say? What would he do? Rocks? What would he do? Someone may say, why? Just tell him the truth. Right, says Davis. Fine. And what sane man would swallow that explanation? She didn't know what she was getting into. She wasn't sure this was going to be a blessing. It might be the hardest thing that would ever come into her life. In many ways it was. But it was also so amazingly blessed. You see, she did not argue or question. Listen. She submitted to the will of God for her and for the son that she would bear. An old Puritan by the name of Thomas Hogg. How would you like to have that name? Thomas Hogg said this. Submission. Talking about for Christians and their relationship with God. Submission is preferable to consolation. Consolation is getting the good stuff, the prizes, the... But he says, submission. That hated word in our culture. Submission. He said, is preferable to consolation. For consolation pleases us. You and me. But submission, he said, pleases God. Submission pleases God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God must have been pleased with this slave girl named Mary. This highly favored lady that we call the Blessed Virgin Mary. The question is, will we follow in her footsteps with our own submission?
Or will we say, no, God, just give me the consolation. All that other submission stuff. You think about that. Amen. Father, oh Lord, may it be that though we struggle and we sure want a lot more consolation than we want submission. But Lord, what, a, what an incredible story, example Mary was. And may, Lord, we walk in her footsteps in that way, being willing to submit to your will. Not my will, but yours be done. And Lord Jesus, you said that to your father. She said that to the angel. And may that always be our response to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I